Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. I'm Hope BC Fire Chief Tom DeSorcy. Joining us today on Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, a pleasure to uh, introduce Sean Freeman. Sean, uh, the Acting Deputy Chief at the Strathmore Fire Department in Alberta, and uh, also on his resume, I guess you could say, uh, international aid worker. Sean, it's a pleasure to talk to you today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. This is pretty exciting. I think the uh, people that, that may be familiar with your name if uh, have seen the uh, uh, the uh, June issue of uh, of uh, addition to firefighting in uh, in Canada, talking about uh, you and and the role you play. Let's um let's let's talk about you in the fire service in terms of you know is it are you the typical volunteer firefighter uh, just got involved in your community? When did it all begin in the fire service for you? Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's how it started in uh, in Strathmore as a as a volunteer firefighter uh, in 1995. I had a business at that time and I wanted to give back to the community and uh, the volunteer fire department seemed like the the best fit for me. Uh, With my father being a professional firefighter in the city of Calgary, I had some pretty good exposure to the the industry growing up. So I started taking courses and uh, responding to calls and through the years, uh, you know, became more and more qualified and more and more courses and Currently, right now, um, I'm a senior firefighter with the Strathmore Fire Department, uh, paid on call um, as acting deputy chief uh, inspection and prevention over the last year. um, I do probably the bulk of fire safety inspections for the town of Strathmore and uh, some fire prevention, uh, kids activities, uh, hall tours and school visits, that sort of thing. That's pretty much been my day to day. So I'm at the fire hall generally the majority of the time for especially the last year with those activities and then when I'm not doing that uh, I do some work with the Canadian Red Cross. Wow tell us a bit more about Strathmore those that uh, are are certainly around the world or our Canadian audience at any rate to to may not have been to your community in Alberta uh, about its size and about the fire department there. Yeah absolutely Uh, Strathmore is a community um, situated uh, just east of Calgary it's about 60 kilometers out. Uh, it's a bedroom community. A lot of people work here inside Calgary and choose to live in Strathmore. Uh, there's about 15,000 people, give or take, a little bit more. Um, and uh, I guess that's probably, it, it's a growing community. Um, it's, it's definitely been growing steadily over the last 10 or 15 years, uh, increasing in, in size as, as much of the area around Calgary has been. So for you being a paid on call member of the department, you have the ability to to go away and to get away, to get involved, as we talk about you in, in the international aid world. How did that all get started? How did you find out and how did you get involved? Well, um, I've, I've been working as an electrician for, for quite some time and the opportunity came up to work in, uh, you know, the Kandahar Air Force Base uh, in contract to the Canadian Armed Forces uh, as an electrician and I specialize in in life safety systems and uh, am a fire alarm technician. So I went and did that for for a good while and uh, came back and 
uh, the mission there was was winding up, and I wanted to do something that was in line with that uh, international work I really enjoyed. So I did some research and I found the emergency response unit uh, field hospital program with the Canadian Red Cross and uh, applied for that. They got back to me, did a bunch of training and uh, on the systems of the, the field hospital and uh, was ready for deployments after that. So um, just like everybody else that volunteers uh, for the Canadian Red Cross, when a mission comes up, we have to uh, check with our employment and, and our families and everything and make sure that we have the availability to go. We try and maintain availability, but uh, specifically when a mission comes up, we wanna make sure that uh, we can leave work and, and come back and uh, reintegrate into the things we were doing before we left. How soon or how long do you have before a deployment? How much notice do you get before you have to leave? Well, we have a, a number of different systems that, that let us know that there's a, a mission that's coming up. Uh, we'll get a phone call initially uh, and an email at the same time and texts um, asking for our availability. And at that point, we can indicate whether we're immediately available, which means that probably you're going to go within 24 hours or a second rotation, and each rotation tries to be about a month, so you could go the month after or the month after that, up to probably four four rotations generally is what they look for availability. So are you flying there out of uh, just a commercial airport, commercial airline? How do you get to where you have to go? Yeah, generally we, we have to go to Ottawa for a debrief uh, or a, a briefing uh, as far as uh, what the mission entails. And as a technician, which is uh, the department that I am situated in. Um, we have all the field hospital equipment that's uh, pre-positioned in uh, Toronto near the airport. And when it gets deployed on the first initial uh, part of the deployment as a technician and with some other people, you could fly out with the gear. So that means that uh, we're going to fly initially on commercial and sometimes we get to the uh, country that we're going to on commercial. But if we're going with the equipment, it could be any any variety of ways that that all the gear gets there which which could be military transport it could be a commercial bulk transport and we'll we'll actually try and fly with the gear if we can where have you deployed to some of the different places you've been uh i've been to sierra leone for an ebola treatment center uh mission uh, i've been to nepal after the earthquakes and mudslides and everything that that went on there I've been to the Philippines doing some capacity building and training with uh, their fantastic uh, field hospital program that they've developed uh, ever since that they had uh, hurricanes and cyclones that we uh, we sent an emergency field hospital there to help out. Uh, let's see, so let's see, Philippines, uh, Africa. I just recently got back from Mozambique. I uh, was there for a month with the field hospital unit that we set up. And I was down to the Caribbean uh, setting up some base camps for assessment after the uh, the cyclones and hurricanes that went through there uh, the year before last. You probably pay a lot of attention to the world news to see what's happening. And then if something does occur, uh, you know, far away, uh, you're probably on, on edge and, and waiting for that call, I would think. Yeah, the way our, our world works nowadays, information is passed pretty quick. And uh, between the media and, of course, the Internet and everything else, we can generally see, uh, we, we 
initially anticipate things that are going to happen. We hear about things that could happen. And then, of course, when the impact is realized, uh, we start to hear things. And the Red Cross especially has people all around the world. Local national societies have volunteers that will go out and warn people, will assess and uh, have pre-positioned equipment and all that kind of stuff. And when a disaster happens, what's needed beyond that starts to be assessed uh, centrally and then national societies from around the world will organize and send a response um, that's needed from that point. So yeah, we, we, we have a good idea of um, all us delegates, you know, when something is, is going to happen or there's a possible deployment and the Canadian Red Cross will let us know as soon as they know um, what the possibilities are or if we're, we're definitely sending a contingent out. So how many people would you be accompanying on an, on an average basis? Is it obviously not just you alone. There, there's got to be, as you say, a contingent, uh, a, a team or a group of people. Big numbers? or I can be. Um, when we send a full field hospital like we did to Mozambique, that's usually around 30 people, doctors, nurses, technicians, logisticians, uh, technicians in the hospital, x-ray people, everybody that, that kind of... Uh, would be used in a in a hospital setting uh and then on the other side of that spectrum when i went to set up base camps i went with some gear uh just the the basic stuff for a for a base camp setup and uh i joined a team that was already in place uh doing assessment and just brought them more logistical equipment to do the missions that they needed to do and i went uh on my own uh for that one to to kind of support them Wow. I think the crossover from being in the fire service and having those skills must have must help in, in terms of what you do over there. What skills can you translate to, to, to the work done at the international level? Uh, the biggest skill that and, and the, the best one that, that's most transferable is teamwork. It's so important in the fire service that uh, teamwork um, occurs, that everybody works together in a common goal. And uh, that that. We have so many different types of people and personalities and ways of approaching things that the teamwork dynamic has to really work. So over the years, uh, the longer that we're firefighters, the more experience we have in the teamwork uh, capacity. Um, so that's that's huge. And that's definitely important when we work with people from uh, other technical backgrounds, other experiences, people um that that do different professions and that that sort of thing so we all have to mesh together and and work together and and uh realize what's what's best and the, the best work that we can do to help people for sure i think what's you know one of the big benefits of the volunteer fire world is the fact that we have so many walks of life that come into our fire hall with trades and professions and abilities that must be the same when you take the international approach that you have all these tradespeople and all these different skill sets that uh, that come to the table to help out. Yeah, exactly. Yep, that that is so very true. Everybody has a, is is a is a specialist in a different way, and uh, how you can kind of mesh all those things together uh, really re, really makes a difference on the effectiveness of what it is that you're trying to do. So yeah, you've got everything from doctors specific types of doctors all the way down to jack of all trades uh people that are really good at putting stuff together and making things work and, and coming up with solutions to to keep things working 
we've uh, you know you and I in in our world in terms of our fire you know careers being me a volunteer and now a a, a paid person uh you know for many years we've we've as they say we've seen some stuff uh is that is that a big component do you see a lot that uh, that you that really you have to deal with when you go uh to these major ev- major events or incidents uh yeah for sure, especially um, if you're with an initial response and the disaster could still be going on. There could still be environmental impacts uh, as, as far as on the the people and the, the infrastructures. Um, after Cyclone a Day in uh, Mozambique, um, initially this is from the government. Uh, there were 602 people that were confirmed dead in Mozambique, 344 in Zimbabwe, and 56 in Malawi. So you you see some things that that are just on a much greater scale than say an initial response to a motor vehicle accident or a medical assist um pretty similar just on different scales i guess is is the best way to equate it uh when i went mm-hmm. to sierra leone for the ebola response they really really wanted uh, te- technical support and infection prevention and control specialists to be firefighter paramedics because of the the training in in the um the protective equipment that we were going to wear, but also the potential exposure to the number of affected people and 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 deaths and how you deal with uh, with people that are deceased and all that kind of stuff. So you bring that that professional uh, ability and also probably some some exposure that you've had before and experienced that way. Have you ever had a moment of concern for your safety at all? Uh, we we always try to be very careful in our training. That's that's the first thing that we we teach everyone is is to uh, make sure that we're safe first. Um, when when I was in Nepal, we were up on the side of a mountain, and we could hear big, huge cracking noises of uh, mudslides that were still going on 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 the other side of the mountain. But we did assessments to make sure that we were always safe and and that the ground that we were on was, was stable. So it really comes down to a constant, uh, especially initially, a, a constant uh, situational awareness that that we're in a safe place and that we can continue to be safe. Um, security uh, is always a concern. Quite often we'll, we'll contract local security people to, to make sure that uh, our hospitals are safe, that our camps are safe, and, and that we're safe. We, we try and mitigate just like any other situation, we try to mitigate the hazards as much as possible, but you're, you always want to have your situ, situational awareness uh, open so that you can make sure that you're, you and the others in the group are, are always safe. I'm curious as to how you're received when you show up in another country to help someone. We, you know, we've done deployments, I've done deployments, you know, in country for forest fires and those kind of things. And you go to another community and, and you're certainly well received. They know you're from out of town. You're not from here. Is that the same reception you guys get when you show up? Or they know you, who you are and where you're from? Yeah, that's one of the hugest advantages of working with the, with the Red Cross is the uh, the brand is well known, I guess, is, is the best way to put it. And there's an expectation. Um, we have fundamental principles that everybody in the Red Cross, all volunteers need to follow. So people have an expectation that we're going to be there to help, that we're going to be impartial, that we're there to help everybody, that we don't make any judgments or decisions on who's treated first or anything. Everybody gets treated and, and all that kind of stuff. So it gives volunteers with the uh, Red, the Red Cross and access that perhaps other nation responders or other NGOs might not even get initially. So that's, that's a huge advantage. Um, 
generally we're we're there to help and and people are very very positive uh to to have us come in and, and help we also um do a lot of instruction and in teaching the people that that volunteer with us uh when we're in a response get some great skills and it's very positive and we we, we never have trouble uh getting volunteers to come in and, and work with us in in a situation uh there's always a great number that want to come in and, and work with us so so we're embedded in 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 with the community that 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 we're working with and uh the whole time that we're there and that we're working with the field hospital or, or any other capacity, being embedded in the community, we become part of it like right away, for sure. Do you still have contact with communities that you've been to then once you're back home? Yeah, for sure. Um, especially through the technical aspects. Uh, I have uh, Facebook friends from all over the world and uh, get emailed or occasionally even a phone call from, from somebody wondering how to do something or if they've got a weird situation. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it and figure out how to come up with a solution. So yeah, yeah, there's, there, and not just uh, from the local countries, uh, other people that I've worked with uh, in European countries and, and uh, Asian and African companies or countries, um, in, am in contact with, with people that I've worked with uh, that are still members of the Red Cross and, and doing things as well. So it's, it becomes a really big family. And, and the more deployments you do, you, you run into the same people and, and you kind of look forward to seeing some of the same people that, that you haven't seen that live on the other side of the planet, but you, you talk to occasionally. Sounds so much like the fire service now, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Has the aid work done anything to enhance what you do now at home? Because we talked initially about being a firefighter, having some skills, an electrician, and going over and helping out. What about coming back? What you've learned, what you've seen, how has that enhanced what you do in the fire service or in your department in, in, in Strathmore? Yeah, definitely. Um, you, you have some experience seeing uh, a big big scale disasters, but we can still have uh, incidents uh, that, that start out small and have the potential to get bigger. And, and sometimes there's some things that we can do to mitigate uh, initially to try and contain it. If uh, there's a big wildfire scene, uh, like last year, um, we, we had a pretty big wildfire uh, incident uh, across the county and impacted uh, communities through our county. And uh, unfortunately, at the time, I was in I was in the Caribbean at that time. But uh, they they did a lot of the same things that we would do, and 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 all that kind of stuff. So, it uh, when when we talk about emergency management and and part of that system, there's some experiences and some relevant uh, skills that, that that we can kind of chime in with and and talk about uh, ways of doing things. But uh, you know, it's just the biggest thing is is probably we when we talk about uh, planning for disasters and planning for big incidents and stuff like that, we it, it scales up pretty fast and you wanna have all the possible things in your community to mitigate any possible disaster. But at the end of the day, it, it, there's a certain amount of space and time and resources and reality that you can have like in each community. So you talk about the scale of things growing and how outside agencies and provincial and regional and, and even national uh, things will come into play when, when there gets to be a big disaster. So, you know, how, how these things all fit together and mesh is, is really important. And, and I think it, that, that over the last few years, a lot of people have been and groups have been talking together and planning together so that there isn't duplication of resources and, and uh, stockpiles of things that would be redundant uh, from one way or another. 
in emergency management, we are always preaching the be prepared at home for the general public, for the responders on call to be prepared. Make sure your family is taken care of. After what you've seen or, or been through, can you can you give us a reassurance or a, you know a, another another reason why this is so important to be ready if and when a natural disaster happens? Oh yeah, exactly. There's a lot of things that we can do um, that we always keep uh, in our homes. Uh, generally, infrastructure it doesn't take much for infrastructure to go down, like power systems, water systems, um, the things that we take for granted every day. So to have a supply of water, I, I keep an extra couple of boxes of bottled water in my basement uh, and change them out every once in a while just in case the water goes down it, it can happen with with flooding or or with uh, other impacts on our infrastructure uh, we should try and carry cash um, there's lots of great uh, resources out there that that um, have lists of things that you could, should keep but cash is really important because when bank machines don't work or the banks aren't open um, you still need to go out and get things and and uh, things that you either have run out of or didn't have initially and we see that in a lot of places people want to use a bank card and uh, most places just uh, especially for the first few weeks they just don't have the capacity at stores they the store can open up but they can't take anything but cash so problematic uh, to keep track of those really tight resources so more more stuff comes in some great advice absolutely how would you know someone listening to the podcast today uh especially those that have an emergency services background how would they how would they get involved if they had the interest to uh, to do what you do and, and and volunteer for uh some international aid work yeah there's lots of uh um, non-governmental organizations out there so you can kind of look through all of them see what fits you best and uh just go through the initial recruitment uh, processes, uh, fill out the applications and start working with them. Um, the biggest thing is to make yourself available. Uh, just like if you were to join a volunteer department in your local community, uh, the international work is much the same. Um, when there's a call, you need to be able to make yourself available. It's, obviously, we all have family and, and work, uh, things that we have to take care of uh, first. But if if you're say younger or have more flexibility whether initially you're younger or older and retired those are the where, where people tend to have more opportunities to be more available and have more time um, but that's not to say when you're working or you know have kids and that sort of thing uh, it just comes down to planning and, and organizing your life so you can make yourself available if at all possible is there anything in all the trips that you've done all the deployments and the ones that are still to come i guess Anything that uh, you know you take back in terms of something special? What what's the biggest thing you bring out of these things, or something that you've learned over the time? Um, well, for my daughter, I bring back uh, coins from every country that I've been to, and that sort of thing. <laughs> and we 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 talk about uh, you know quite often I'll have pictures of animals or things and that sort of thing. And and the the biggest thing that you bring back is that other parts of the world do things differently than we do in our parts of the world. It's like when you go over to somebody's house, the rules are a little bit different. The way they do things is a little bit different. So we just talk about being a little bit worldly. Um, in Canada, a lot of the things we, we take for granted uh, can, can be used here. Uh, we have a water park here in Strathmore and 
I heard that uh, some of our newer folks to Strathmore came from a country where water cleanliness is a problem. And they weren't going to the water park because they were concerned that the water wouldn't be safe. And we had to explain that it's the same water that we drink with. It's very, very safe. And, you know, all the kids go out there and, and it's very, very clean. So we do take a lot of things for granted. And sometimes we don't understand that other people don't see, even in our own communities, how, how things are impacted on them when they first get here and that sort of thing. Some great lessons learned, some some great advice, Sean. It's been great to uh, to talk more with you today. Uh, thank you very much for this. Well, thanks for having me. It's it's sure great to to share these things. Sean Freeman, uh, who is the acting De- deputy chief at Strathmore uh, Fire and uh, an international aid worker. I guess one last quick question. You know, obviously, no deployments uh, on the on the docket so far. No, just uh, recently got back from Mozambique and uh, will probably be, be around for a while unless uh, something huge occurs again. Watch the news. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. Visit firefightingincanada.com and click on Hot Topics for more episodes.